Good. Hey, happy Independence Day weekend. Um, God is good. My name is, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick McCall. I am the youth pastor here. Um, I'm super incredibly grateful and honored uh, whenever I have an opportunity to preach um, at Thorn Creek. I'm incredibly grateful uh, to be working with uh, Pastor Ruben, who just gives his staff, gives us so many opportunities like this, who invests in us, pours into us, and truthfully, I'm grateful uh, to be here and to have an opportunity um, to be able to bring the word. I'm used to preaching to teenagers, so you guys are a little bit older, but we're all, we're all the same, right? Um, <laughs> let me uh, just start us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this, this message. God, we love you. God, we surrender to you right now. Whether we're here, whether we're watching from, from our living room at home, listening in the car, wherever we're at right now, Jesus, we surrender our hearts to you and we ask, God, would you have your way? Would you do a mighty work inside all of us? God, would you put your word into our hearts, God, and may this message, may your word that we're gonna dive into today change us, God. May we walk out of this place, may we leave this message, may we leave this encounter as better followers of you, Jesus. Have your way, God, right now I surrender my tongue to you. And I ask God, would you just speak through me? May your words flow from my mouth. God, push me aside, do what you need to do so your message, your word can be heard for your people. We say all these things, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Church, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. Um, do you ever catch yourself um, setting a goal to um, spend more time with God in the morning? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be my day. I'm going to set my alarm earlier than normal. I'm going to get up. I'm going to spend time with God, and it's going to be beautiful, and I'm going to have this amazing day because of it. And then tomorrow morning rolls around. You went to bed a little bit later than you had planned on. That alarm goes off, and you hit that snooze button. And then you wake up later and you're like, man, today was going to be my day. And you feel like you blew it. I have good news for you. You didn't blow it. Because here's the thing. We're not just expected to spend 10 minutes with God in the morning. Yes, that time is important. Yes, it's time to dive into God's word. But no, you did not miss your opportunity. So what we're going to talk about today is worship. We're talking about worship as something more than just these little tiny moments when, you know, we have five minutes in the morning and we open the word and we read it and we say, okay, whew, got my time with God and now I can get on with my day. When our mindset should be different, did you know you can, you can worship God in, in the small moments? You know that first sip of coffee in the morning? Any coffee drinkers? Uh, if you're a coffee drinker in the chat, just put me in all caps with lots of exclamation marks because you've been drinking a lot of coffee, right? Um, our worship pastor, Riley, or worship leader, Riley, he doesn't, he doesn't drink coffee, so we're, we're praying for him. But you know that first sip of coffee in the morning, like that, that can be a moment of worship. Like, oh God, this is so good. Thank you, Jesus, for making coffee. Step outside, you hear the birds chirping, right? These, these are moments when we can notice God. So, so we're not called to just spend time with God in the morning, but, but in all aspects, all areas of our life. Um, we're, we're currently in a series right now called The People's Hallelujah. Now, uh, this has been a really wonderful series. Each week, we're diving into a different psalm. 
uh, really looking into the Psalms and what these were written and, and diving into what, what, they, what they're saying. Um, and, and truthfully, as you read Psalms, you're, you're looking into David. Most of the time, David was the author. Looking into his journal. Looking into his personal reflection with God, his personal struggles, his worries, his victories. We're reading as we dive into, and, and David really... He writes about these moments when he went through pain. He writes about these moments when he went through triumph, when he went through difficulty. But he also takes moments to point out the goodness, the faithfulness of God. Um, today, we're in Psalm chapter 19. I want to encourage you to stand as we read this psalm together. Psalm chapter 19, it's only 14 verses. Let's read the word of God together. If you're watching from home, feel free to stand with us. It says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Isn't that good? The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant a great reward for those who obey him. Verse 12, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may have a seat. Beautiful psalm here, chapter 19, and it's broken up into three different parts as, as, as David is, is writing. There's three different parts here. Verses one through five is kind of this praise of the creator. David just recognizes God and, and the glory of his creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies are speaking. And then verses six through nine, he makes a shift and he starts talking about the Torah or, or the law. Of God, And then verses 10 through 14, he talks about, you know, in light of, of the first two sections, how he wants to live. So it's really a three-part sermon, kind of, on how we should live our lives. Um, sections one and two are written with different worshipers in mind. Section one is kind of the free-spirited kind of go with the flow, the birds are chirping, God is in this place, kind of a person. And then section two is more for the kind of by the book, just tell me what I need to do, what are the things I need to do, what are the things I, I need to not do, how do I worship God properly, 
right? So David so beautifully captures both worshipers in this psalm. Isn't it beautiful, by the way, that God made each and every one of us different? That all of us are made different. And not only that, but God made a way in his word for all of us to connect and worship him. That God knows that he made each and every one of us different, and so he speaks to us differently. See, for some people, all they need to do to worship God is step outside, breathe that fresh air, listen to the birds chirping, and they're like, God is good. That's their worship. You take another person, put them in that same spot, breathing the same air, listening to the same birds, and they're like, can I go back inside? Those birds are driving me nuts. But is one person more spiritual than the other? Is one person closer to God than the other? Is, of course not. Of course not. What's truly important is not how somebody connects with God, but that they do and that they have that personal intimate relationship with God. And the same is true for, for congregational worship, for worship in the church. Um, we have a creative team. We meet every Monday as a staff. We have a creative team and we talk about the worship services. And one of the questions we always ask in these creative team meetings is, at what point in the service was the presence of God evident? At what point, in the, was it during a song? Was it, was it during the message? At what point was the spirit of God just moving and was it evident? And it's crazy how we can sense that. You know what I mean? It's crazy how we can all be in the same room and we can be like, oh, God was, that was awesome. Did you, wasn't that good? The Holy Spirit was just moving. God was just alive. It was electric in the place. And we can all feel it. Isn't it beautiful how that happens? How God moves that way? See, we know that God is always present. We see that in scripture. There's nowhere we can hide from his presence. No matter where we are, God is there. But sometimes God's presence is just more evident. It's just more thick. It's just more raw. It's just more real. You know what I'm talking about? And it can happen at any moment. You can be washing the dishes and boom, God can hit you and you're like, oh God, you're so good. Or it can be driving or it can be, you know, whatever. We call these moments anointed, blessed moments. These, these little moments that God gives us sometimes that are just like anointed. And, and when you experience the anointed blessing of God, there's nothing better on this planet. It's like God gives us a small taste of heaven. And he's like, you want to know what heaven's like? I'm just going to give you a little piece. Check this out. And you just sit and you just rest in God and his goodness and who he is. God's presence is evident whether you're a, you're a person who raises your hands and jumps around or you're a person who stands or a person who sits or kneels. However, we do see moments in scripture, several moments in scripture where where people were, were physically expressive in their worship. Where, where people were physically, they used the body that God gave them to physically express worship to God. The first one you see is um, Abraham fell face down in worship of God in Genesis chapter 17. Um, Moses took off his shoes when he was standing on holy ground in the presence of God. Um, Jesus knelt to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Paul and Silas were in prison and they started singing 
hymns to God. And when they did that, the prison walls shook. Isn't that awesome? And they were set free. Or this last one, the, the, the woman who breaks the alabaster jar and pours the perfume on Jesus. So as we look in scripture, we see there are so many different times and places when people use their physical bodies in, in, in an act of worship to God. God gave us bodies to use to worship him. I do believe it pleases God when we physically express ourselves in worship. When we raise our hands, when we clap our hands, when we jump, when we shout, when we dance, when we lay down face on the floor, I do believe it pleases God when we do that. But the sad thing is many of us in the church in America feel uncomfortable doing things like that. Like, I'm not going to lay on my face in church. Are you kidding me? That's awkward. You're going to stare at me weird. I, I don't know. It just feels weird. I don't, I don't know if I want to do that in public. Let me tell you something. Here at Thorn Creek, you are free to worship however God is leading you to worship. These altars are open all the time. If you want to kneel, if you want to lay down on your face, if you want to jump, do it. Worship God freely, for God gave us bodies to worship. We see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We were literally created with the purpose of worshiping God. We were created to worship God. It's who we are as we are worship beings. That's how God made us. Everything we do should be about worshiping our creator. Um, Holly Girth, she said, worship is an act of war against the enemy of our hearts. Isn't that good? It's an act of war. When you start thinking about worship as a way to fight the enemy, as you start thinking about worship as a way to declare war against your struggles, and then your, your stance, your posture of worship, that becomes your battle stance. So if it's on your knees in prayer, that's your battle stance against the enemy. If it's raising your hands, if it's laying on your face, if it's clapping, that is how we fight the enemy and worship God. And then you're no longer worried about what everybody else is thinking because you're like, you know what? I'm in battle right now. I'm going through something and this is how I fight. I'm going to fight on my knees. I'm going to praise God for who he is. See, your entire purpose is to worship God with your entire life. Just as a, a car, have you ever thought about a car? So everything about your car is designed to get you from point A to point B, both safely, now extremely comfortably, right? Um, you ever sit in a really old car, by the way, and sit in a new car now? Sit in a car that was made in, I don't want to say a year because I don't want to offend anyone, but you know what I'm talking about? You sit in an old car and you sit in a new car and the old car is a little bit kind of rough and the seats aren't as comfortable and they're straight and you're like, man, how did people drive this thing? What, what in the world is this? And you sit in a car today, it's brand new, and you just kind of like fall into the seats. That car was created to get you from point A to point B. It was given an engine 
to power it. It was given wheels that would move easily across the ground. It was given a stereo so that you can listen to music or podcasts or whatever. It was given seats with seat belts and a steering wheel. Everything about your car was designed to get you from point A to point B. In the same way, everything about you was created to worship God. Everything about you, who you are, your, your voice, your mouth, your eyes, your arms, your legs, everything about who you are was designed to worship God. In Psalm 19, David's talking about how all of creation is worshiping God. All of creation. So let's, let's go to this again, verses 1 through 5. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. So all of creation gives glory to God and worships God because that's what creation was designed to do. Verse 2 again says, day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. See, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, all of creation is worshiping God and giving glory to him. And when we take a moment to get away from the chaos, the busyness of life, the stress of life, and we just take a moment to just like stop and just recognize God's goodness around us. Maybe it's, gosh, we live in Colorado. What a beautiful place to live. Look at the mountains and think, wow, God, you made those. Listen to the birds or the flowers or that coffee in the morning or whatever. We join with all of creation and worship God. All of creation is already singing praises to God all the time. You don't have to look too hard to notice. All of creation is singing and worshiping God. Darlene Check, I love this quote. She said, worship is more than singing beautiful songs in church on a Sunday. It's more than instruments and music. Check this out. As a true worshiper, your heart will long to worship him at all times, in all ways, with all your life. It's not just about the church gathering. You don't only worship Jesus once or twice a week. I love how she said it. As a true worshiper, your heart will long to worship him at all times, in all ways, and with all your life. Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Are you at that place? See, I believe God put a desire in each and every one of us to do this. To worship God in all times, in all ways, with all that we are. It's a choice to live every moment in worship. It's not just the 10 minutes when you wake up in the morning. It's on your drive to work. It's while you're at work. It's while you're at your lunch break. It's while you're picking your kids up from school. It's when you get home. It's when you're making dinner. It's when you're making a decision on what you're going to watch on TV, what you're going to listen to in your car. Every moment we have an opportunity to worship God. We see this in the Gospel of Luke. Um, this is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
And there's a really powerful section here. I want, I want us to read this together. Luke chapter 19, verse 37 says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Everybody say loud voices. Loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples and check this out. Verse 40, this is so cool. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Oh, guys, isn't that good? If we are quiet... Don't you worry. All of creation will worship God. It's already happening. Do you know that nothing can silence the praise of God? No person, no nation, no struggle, no nothing can separate us or can stop God from being praised. If we stop, you'll hear the rocks singing praises to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God, the name of Jesus will be praised. And we have an opportunity right now to join in and say, God, I will worship you with my life. I don't want the stones to have to cry out, God. God, I won't let the stones cry out because I will sing, I will live a life that honors and praises you. All of creation is already preaching God's glorious name. The question is, will you? Jonathan, Helser said, creation is waiting for the sound that is inside of you. That sound of worship, that sound of praise. You don't only worship God when you study his word or sing to him, but it's the way we live our lives. All of us have a built-in longing, this built-in desire in us to worship the living God. We have a calling to do this. Um, verse 4, let's jump back to verse 4 of Psalm 19. It uses this word, uh, the NLT uses the words, yet their message. But I did a little research. The Hebrew language, the original word is qam, which means measuring line. So measuring line is, is a term or names a line used by builders to measure their work. So what this is saying is it was a universal sign of accountability to the creator of the heavens so that when we see, when we open our eyes and look at creation in the world, that we see God's fingerprints. It's a constant reminder to us of the work of God in creating the heavens and the earth. It's a, it's a measuring line as a reminder. We were created to be observant of all that God has made for us. And as David continues... He wants his readers to understand just how massive and powerful and divine God is. So David points out the sun. But if you're not careful, you'll just read right over. You'll, you'll just read right over that. So let's go to this again. Psalm 19 verses 4 and 5 says, God made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. So this is extremely significant. And if you're not careful, you'll just read right over it. David was calling out most of the world in, in this time. So most of the world during this time worshipped the sun. In fact, to them, the sun was a god or goddess, and they even had names for this god or goddess. These names were Shamshu or Shemesh, 
Shapshu, Re, and Shemesh. They, they had these names for the sun that they worshiped. So David is pointing this out and saying to them, look, you worship this god or this goddess, Shamshu? He's pointing out that God created the sun, that God put a, a tent over it, that God is actually more powerful than this little G god or goddess that you worship. He's calling out the world who is believing that the sun is some sort of a god. And in it, he's, he's even affirming the strength and the heat of the sun. He's like, yeah, it's like a young bridegroom burning out of his, his chamber. It's like a great athlete about to run the race. He's, he's pointing out the strength of the sun, but at the same time, he's saying, look, God, Yahweh created the sun. That sun is not that big. It's just a fiery ball in the sky. And you see evidence of this in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 16. Ezekiel's writing, and he says, Then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple, at the entrance to the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar, there were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun. Worshiping the sun. Do you see the ignorance of these 25 men? They're in where? The temple of the Lord. Are they worshiping God? No, their backs are turned to God so that they can worship the sun. So David's calling this out. He's like, look, you people worship that, that sun. Let me tell you something. That sun has a creator. His name is Yahweh, and he's bigger and greater than whatever you think that this fiery ball in the sky is. David's like, that, that fiery ball, that thing you call Shamshu, yeah, it's just a heat source created by God. God is bigger so David knew exactly what he was doing. And so now that David's got his, his readers right where he wants them, he shifts the attention to the law of God. He's like, okay, let me just call out this God you worship. It's nothing. It's just a ball in the sky. God created it. It's no big deal. And then he turns their attention to Yahweh and the perfection of his law. As you read 19 verse 7, it says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The NIV says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The law of the Lord is refreshing. David reminds us that the way of the Lord is perfect. And when we choose to live our lives according to the word, it is refreshing. It is refreshing. There is nothing better than living in constant obedience to God and his word and his law. In fact, that's our it's our worship of God, living in reverence of him. There's nothing better than living in the will of God. See, walking in obedience to God is refreshing because it's what we were created to do. We were created to be obedient to God and his law. And David says, David points out that the law is not like a, a bad thing, not like a list of rules to follow. David says, no, listen, when you follow the law of God, it's refreshing. You know why it's refreshing? Because it's what we were created to do. That's our purpose. That's what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to be obedient. God designed us that way. In fact, it works better. It works best when we're obedient, when we live according to the purpose that he created us. It's kind of like, like not being obedient to God is kind of like using your broom to mop your kitchen floor. 
all it's going to do is just like make a big mess. It's going to spread dirt around and it's not going to do anything because your broom wasn't intended to be a mop. In the same way, we weren't intended to live life of disobedience to God and his word. We were created to be obedient. We were created to be worshipers of God, to honor him and glorify him. And when we do, it's refreshing to the soul. It puts us in proper alignment with God and who we were supposed to be. Living in obedience to God is refreshing. Um, Eugene Peterson, I, I want to read his, his translation of verses 7 through 10. This is, I, love, I love the creativity of his language here. He says this, The revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring than red, ripe strawberries. That just make you crave obedience to God. Anybody else want a strawberry right about now? Just like a fresh strawberry in spring? Live according to the word of God. It's refreshing. It's not a list of rules. It's not a, it's not a, like a do's and don'ts. It, rather, it's, it's, a, it's a guideline. It's our instruction manual for how we were created to live and what we were created to do, and who we were created to be. We overcomplicate life, and we make it difficult when we choose to do things our own way. When we choose to be disobedient, when we choose to just, like, yeah, I know the thing I should do, but instead I'm just going to do this. When we live that way, we make it complicated. We weren't created to do things our own way. We were created to follow God's way. You were created to worship God with your life. You were created to make good decisions based on prayer, based on God's word. And, and what happens is people who choose to live life their own way, make their own decisions in disobedience to God. And then they say, gosh, I just feel so far from God. I just feel like God's not here. God's not with me. I just feel like I don't hear God. I don't sense God in my life. Where is God? How come he's not here? And it's like, well, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe it's because you're expecting the blessing of God to come from a life that, that God isn't blessing. See, because God blesses the life of the person who's being obedient. When we're obedient, then God is. God blesses our life. So I want to encourage you, surrender your life. Choose to live a life that worships God, because any other life is meaningless. Choose to live a life that honors God. Your life will have meaning when your life is being lived on purpose in obedience to God. You wanna find meaning, you wanna find purpose in your life, it comes from one place, it comes from God's word. You wanna find meaning, you wanna find reason for living, you wanna find a purpose for your life, dive into God's word. You wanna experience that refreshing to the soul, live your life according to God's word. Make it a, a habit. Let me tell you, living in obedience to God is sweeter than ripe red strawberries in spring. It's better than whatever you did at 2 a.m. 
better than any high you've ever experienced. Living in obedience to God refreshes the soul because it's who we were created to be and it's our act of worship to God. David goes on in verses 12 through 14. Now these verses here is what verses 1 through 11 has been leading up to. This is what it's been building to. David's recognized God's glory in his creation. He's recognized the goodness of his law. And then verses 12 through 14 is our, is our roadmap, is our prayer. It says this, verse 12, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Those last two verses, that's a, you could print that, put that on your wall, see that every day, say that every day, memorize that, make that your prayer. Because this is the moment of full surrender to God. This is the moment where David's like, God, I recognize your glory and your creation. I recognize all of creation is worshiping you. I recognize your law is good and fair and perfect and true. And he gets to this point where he says, God, I wanna, I wanna obey you. I wanna live a life of obedience to you. I don't wanna keep messing up, doing life my own way. I wanna live a life of full surrender to God. And he mentions hidden sins lurking in his heart. Do you have any hidden sins lurking in your heart? Do you have things that you're making excuses for? Things that you're hiding? Things that you're ashamed of? But you tell yourself, well, nobody really has to know about it. It's going to be okay. God forgives me anyways. Do you have those things hidden lurking in your heart? Are there certain things you're unwilling to surrender to God? Are there certain things that you're just like, God, you can have every other area in my life, but don't touch that one. You can have every other room in my home, but don't go in that room. I'm gonna keep that room closed. Is it lurking in your heart? Are you making excuses? Or do you have a desire to fully surrender yourself to God, every room in your home? Are you ready to submit to this life of obedience, this life of surrender to who God is in all of his glory? Are you ready to submit and choose a life of worship and a life of obedience rather than anything else? See, verses 12 through 14, this is the prayer for the person who's tired of continuously living in their sin. For the person who's exhausted, tired of making the same mistakes, tired of doing the same things, tired of living life they've been living and wants a change, wants to fully surrender to God and say, God, you can have all of me. I wanna be obedient to you. Are you ready to turn your life around? What are you waiting for? What's holding you back? Jesus made it possible for us to live a life of worship and obedience. Worship is an awareness of how desperately we are in need of our Savior every moment of every day. It's a desperation to honor God with all that we are. 
It's a desire to fulfill our purpose. Worship is what we were created to do. As we close today, I want to encourage you to do something, but only if you are ready to do this, only if you're ready to commit to this. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're ready to make a commitment. If you're ready to say verses 12 through 14 and say, God, you can have all of me. I want to choose to live a life of obedience to you. I want to choose to live a life of worship every moment of every day. I want to surrender my hidden sins. I want to surrender my disobedience. I want to surrender my decisions. And I just want to live for you today. So if that's you, stand and let's read verses 12 through 14 out loud together. If that's you, if you're ready to make that commitment, if you're ready to live in obedience to God and God's word, read these words out loud with me. Verse 12, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, we surrender to you right now in this place. We surrender, God, and we, we declare publicly here by standing and saying, God, it's no longer my way. God, it's no longer my decisions. God, it's no longer this, this pattern that I've been living, these hidden sins, this life that I've been choosing to live. God, I, I throw it all out. I surrender it and I live a life of obedience to you. Help me, God, to be obedient. Because God, I know my weaknesses. I know my faults. I know the areas in my life that I need you to help me with. God, help me with that struggle. Whatever that struggle is for you right now, just declare it to God. Say it privately, say it quietly. You know what it is, God knows what it is. Declare it to him, surrender it to him. Say, God, you can have this area of my life. Take this from me, God, I surrender this to you because I can't conquer this on my own. God, I am weak, but you are strong. God, I, I have the desire to live a life of obedience to you, but I don't always have the willpower. So God, where I lack in willpower, will you help me? Will you give me strength? I have all the desire to live a life that is right before you. I have a desire to honor you with my life, but God, I need help. I wanna change, I wanna be better. I wanna live a life of constant worship in your presence. I wanna live a life of obedience. I recognize your law is perfect and I wanna live according to it. But God, I need your help. We make this our prayer today, God. You know our hearts, Lord. You know the secret sins, the secret faults that we have in us, God, and we surrender those to you. Have your way in us, God. We wanna be obedient followers of you. We choose to worship you, God. Choose to follow you. Choose to draw near to you. Help us, God. Help us, God. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.